Hello, everyone. It's Steven Schleicher at Majorspoilers.com. And I want to do something that, I don't know, I'm not a super fan of repeat stuff. A lot of other podcasts do this when they go on breaks. We just take a break because we need it. Good chance to recharge our batteries. But I also realize that with almost 1,000 episodes of the Major Spoilers podcast out there, not everyone has had a chance to listen to all of that stuff. So this week, Netflix launches Sandman, the adaptation of the Neil Gaiman comic book over at Vertigo Comics. And we reviewed Sandman, the first volume, the absolute edition, the first 20 issues of this, way back in 2009. Yeah, in our first year. Well, actually, just past our first year of the Major Spoilers podcast. And I figured, hey, as we get close to the launch or this weekend, the launch of the Sandman series on Netflix, how about we just go back and revisit just the segment of the show where we talk about the Absolute Sandman Volume 1. Let me know what you think. If you want to hear more excerpts from past trade paperback discussions, hit me up, podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Until then, here you go. Absolute Sandman, Volume 1, Major Spoilers Podcast, Episode 154, from November of 2009. The Major Spoilers Podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. All right, let's talk about Sandman. All right. Actually, I don't know if we're going to have time to get through the whole first Absolute Edition. Maybe we can touch on just a couple of stories. we got a few minutes here. Let's, Let's talk about this. The Sandman. Matthew, fill us in on who the Sandman is. We're not talking about Wesley Dodd. We're talking about this Lord of the Dreams. Lord of the Dream. Dream Morpheus. Um in this story is the personification of all dreams, all stories, all everything. He's one of seven creatures called the Elder, the Endless, rather, who sort of exist outside and to the left of reality. And he is essentially a personification of stories and storytellers and all the things that happen when you tell a story and make this stuff up. As such, he's a very meta statement that you can make if you're a writer writing a comic book story. And he looks remarkably like Robert Smith. Oh, really? Of the cure, yeah. Yes, okay. What's really fascinating is before we meet this incarnation of of Dream, he's the only one that we know of is the Wesley Dodd from the Golden Age, this guy who would go and, and uh, fight crime and get messages in his sleep and that kind of stuff. Here, Dream is a m- physical being, but for sort many of. years he has been trapped by an occult group who has been trying to figure out a way to use his power for their own means. Now, in that time, some weird, Actually, crazy things have happened. they were trying to catch his sister. Oh, that's right, death. Mm-hmm. The thing is, in that time, weird things have happened. Like, people who were asleep when Dream was captured, when Morpheus was captured, never woke up. People, Some people have never been able to go to sleep. Uh, and just weird things have happened with the Dream world. And so the first volume, uh, the Preludes and Nocturnes, which are the first eight issues of the series, really talk about Morpheus escaping and then trying to reclaim his his kingdom mm-hmm. and the mystical yeah. objects. There are three magical items that he has, a helmet, a bag of sand, and what was the third one? Is it a cloak? A jewel. His ruby. Jewel. His ruby, that's right. Um, have you heard my new band, Satan Stole My Helmet? No, I have not. Those guys rock. I know, man. Um, 
I will say this. I never read Sandman when it first came out. And I know, Matthew, you've probably read every issue since one when it came out. Um, no, I actually read it in uh, trade paperback. Really? Okay. Was this years after, or was this like when the first vo- the first trade came when out? When the very first trade came out, I bought it. I, I bought issue one off the stands and didn't really care for it, because okay. issue one is very very atypical mm-hmm. of the Sandman. Mm-hmm. Um, but when that first volume came out, I bought it because it heard good things, and then I bought each volume as they were available. Uh, okay. For me, it was, I waited until this Absolute Edition came out a few years ago, and I really got into it because of a story that we posted up on the Major Spoilers website, and I was really looking at the art and the first couple of pages of the, of the story, and I was like, this is a fascinating story. I think I really want to check this out. Everyone says nothing but good things about it. I'll go ahead and invest the 75 bucks or whatever in the Absolute Edition, because then the art is really big, and I like the big big art pages. And then now that just, you're old and your eyes are my eyes are really bad. But then just going through the whole story, it's so gripping and engaging. I think I read this when we were at the old house, so this would have been like three years ago that I that I picked this up. And I bet I read through this entire series in a day, two evenings, two evenings of reading. Mm-hmm. So it's that engrossing and that engaging. The first volume I thought was very fascinating, this whole idea of the House of Mystery characters, Cain and Abel. Um Morpheus going back to his kingdom. I, I really kind of dug all of that and, and these these objects that he was trying to find. I thought were yeah. really, really good. Uh we get John Constantine uh in yeah. here. Uh in a very so Rodrigo, what's the deal with the with his bag of, of dream dust? What's Morphe what's the deal with that? Can you tell us why a lot of people seek this out and, and why it's so important? Well, um to him it's essentially like all three of those things is kind of a focus of his power. It's, it's more of a like creative focus really rather than um, like the helmet, which is kind of a martial focus of his power. But um, the sand, when he uses it, he can just create dreams and actually kind of shape reality whole cloth. Right. right. But it has like its own magical property. So we find that um, uh, John Constantine, something came, um, came into contact with it mm-hmm. um, and eventually lost it and he has no idea where it is and right. we find out that his ex-girlfriend who's a total junkie stole it right and has actually been for the past 20 dreams. years has been using the the dream dust as a drug yeah, to just give herself the most pleasant dreams in the universe and also shaping somewhat of the reality around her mm-hmm. because as John and Morpheus enter her apartment. The apartment is morphing and shifting and changing as they get to her room. And then they discover the awful truth about the sand is that it turns you into a junkie and she's essentially decimated Mm -hmm. because she's just been doing this stuff nonstop. Thoughts on that, Matthew? That whole first sequence and, and later on through the series, but especially in those first few issues, it has the strongest tie to the DC universe, and this mm-hmm. was the proto-Vertigo phases. You see the Justice League International appear, mm-hmm. and you see uh, Martian Manhunter sees Morpheus as uh, the Martian god Lizoril, god right. of the dream. Right. It's that first implication that Morpheus is what you expect him to be. You see of him what he wants you to see or what, you know, what he should be to you. Yeah. I like the use of Constantine. I really like... Um, 
and again, I have it in the trade paperback. When we get through issue three, we have the whole sequence in hell Mm -hmm. where he ends up getting his helmet back. Right. But we also have that moment where we find out that his ruby has been stolen by a supervillain. Yep. Which is just wonderful. It takes all these old stories, these stories, you know, that were in comics that were kind of grotty, really, and gives them this whole new poetic depth that I just love. This is probably one of my favorite Constantine appearances ever. And for me, that's probably saying something. Really? Oh, yeah. I love the moment where he's talking about how this crazy girl that he used to live with and she stole all his stuff in his Silver Surfer comics. Yeah. And he still <laughs> he still misses her sometimes. Now, that I, moment right there, that's pure Constantine because he's all, you know, he's trying to be all tough guy and all of a sudden it's just this little sliver of sentimentality pops up and then we move on. Right. You know, it that whole segment where he's talking with the embodiment of a dream and he's just like, all right. I'm guessing it's, again, we're looking at the Absolute Edition right now, Rodrigo and I, and this one does not have, you know, what issue is which, but that diner story. Ugh. That's was, issue eight, that 24 is hours. so freaking intense. Mm-hmm. Two and, words, phenomenal. Yeah, it is. What year are we looking at here? 1989. Before yep. a lot of these crazy standoff things kind of happened, you know, in, in these kind of mm-hmm. restaurants or, or schools or those kinds of things. So this really is intense from back then. But imagine thinking about all the things that have happened since then and mm-hmm. then putting that into this story and it takes the creep factor up a whole new notch. And I think but, at the conclusion, I said I was going to invest my time and read the first eight. And after reading that story, I was like, I'm in it for the rest of this book. Let's go yeah. diving. And I think at that moment, I went ahead and ordered uh, the Absolute Edition Volume 2, which had just been been announced or just been released. And yeah. uh, that story sold it for me. Mm-hmm. Now, let's take into account Dr. Destiny, Dr. Mm-hmm. D. Mm-hmm was a minor league Justice League villain who had been taken down a hundred times, a hundred different ways. Right. And to take him and put him in that setting with his goofy cape and his goofy skull face and turn him into this horrifying creature, this powerful thing that just, you know, comes in like a force of nature, just comes in and completely throws these, these people's lives, ends these people's lives. That, to me, is just amazing storytelling because there aren't Dr. Destiny stories or weren't before this that you could look at and go, wow, that was great. Mm -hmm. There were no wonderful Dr. Destiny stories. Sure, there were some that were cute, some that were clever, some that were nice. But, I mean, this is just absolutely world-shattering. The first time I read that, I was just like, oh, man, I need a minute. Unbelievable story. Then we get into the second volume, The Doll's House. This is where Morpheus is trying to track down some of the dreams that have escaped uh, during <laughs> that time. And there's Brute some... And... Go ahead. Brute and Glob. I love the fact that, again, it's the ties to the old comics. Brute and Glob and the comic book, the superhero Sandman, mm-hmm. are Kirby concepts from the 1976 Sandman series that Jack Kirby did for DC. So Brood and Glob had, you know, a comic book background before this issue came out. Their first right. appearance is Sandman number one right. in 1976. So I just love that moment where it's like, oh, look, the DC Universe again. <laughs> I also like the introduction of Rose as a character in this in this series. Um, mm-hmm. 
because she kind of plays a big role as the story goes forth. And just the fact that she at, at the same time is experiencing, I guess, just on the surface, the weirdness that's going on mm -hmm. later, she becomes a little bit more involved in it, but just mm -hmm. her kind of accepting and understanding what's going on with this house, house of weirdos. And one of those weirdos playing a big role in a story that comes down the line. Mm. Um, I just Barbie. like her character. The other character that I like in, in the second volume is really more of a bunch of um, one shot stories almost. Mm. They kind of all have a, a thread. But the uh, the guy that's the immortal uh, way back in the what was it? 1400s or something. Uh, this guy's at a bar and he meets Morpheus. And he says, oh, if I had one wish, I'd live forever. And Morpheus says, okay, um, we're going to meet here in the same bar years. every hundred years, and we're going to have a chat. And I just love this guy's story as he goes all the way up to the 1980s and tells his story and how his life has either been good mm -hmm. or bad, how he wishes that he may not have made that wish, but is kind of still willing to continue that throughout. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it's, of all of the stories in here, after that, that 24 hours, this character in the story is one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. That's one of the first stories that really shows what I consider to be the major theme of the piece is mm -hmm. that Morpheus has changed and is evolving, but he himself cannot believe it. And in some ways to believe that he's changing to accept his changes is going to destroy who he is. And in fact, eventually does. But there's a moment where someone says to him, you've changed. He says, I doubt it. But if you read that story, his first appearance with Hob Gadling, it's a game to him. Right. He and, he and his sister are playing with the silly little mortal. Mm -hmm. And after the first three or four meetings, it gets to the point where Hob tells him, he's like, admit it. I'm your friend. You look forward to these gatherings and I'm your friend. Right. And he right. gets angry and he storms away. Right. And then a hundred years later, he comes back and admits, yes. Hob Gadling is, in fact, his friend. Mm -hmm. So, it, I mean, it's a powerful moment, and it takes it takes Hob, just this guy, mm -hmm. and it shows us, you know, a little bit about humanity and a little bit about this main character. And also, you know, it takes a concept that, you know, is in comic books forever. Immortality. Vandal Savage, one of the first supervillains ever in comics, is immortal. And it puts immortal in a perspective that's perfectly human. Mm -hmm. And it makes you think, oh, my God, I never thought about that. The moment where Hob is like, do you know what it's like when you're starving to death, but you can't die? Yes. I think that was the one you know where he's just like trying to beg people yeah. for beg people yeah, to kill like, him, even though he knows he can't die. No, three or four hundred years in, he's like he's begging. His life is crushed. His right. family's gone. Right. And Morpheus says, do you want to give it up? He's like, no, I've got lots to live for. You know, it's one of those things where even at the lowest point of his life, when he had to, he nearly got thrown out coming near the place because, you know, he was such a down and out starving, you know, hooligan. It, it, he never gives up on the theory that life is worth living. Right. You know, all of these stories have their little tales and their little bits and they have references to real storytelling. I use real in air quotes. You know, there's also some weirdness going on. I mean, the cool thing is these are not just standalone stories because these characters that are introduced, Ra, uh, Rose, and then the immortal guy, and and a lot of these other people, they play important roles later in the series. And Rose mm -hmm. comes back in this one that uh, the convention of serial killers. 
Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Probably one of the most off-putting stories in this volume for me, just because of the, at first you're just, to me there's a whole hint of, uh, like, child molestation is what, you know, you kind of get the early indication that that's what they're trying to collect and all these kind of things, and then you realize that they're just serial killers, but at the same time it's just, and then the fact that one of the the escaped uh, dreams is haunting is killing the serial killers, essentially a serial killer himself. Mm-hmm. I, I found that to be a very accessible story because it reminded me of comics fandom. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh-huh. That, okay. that might have been They're, what he was getting at. Yeah. I think that's what it is. But I mean, it, it, these characters, all of the characters have their little life and right. they've made their niche and they have their little thing that they do. And the, what really sells it for me is when the guy comes in pretending to be a serial killer. Right, and everybody sees through it. And the serial killers, they explain to him that they're not killing him because they're killers. They're killing him because he's not one of them, and he tried to break into their secret club. And these are people who are, you know, should be alienated psychos who have found a common thread. That's all they're looking for is a connection to other people. Granted, they're going to find that connection by chopping people up. But, you know, if you take away the trappings of it. Oh, yeah. The, the convention storyline is very cool and very it has, it's very telling about everyone. Right. But I just think adding that creep factor to it is what bothered me the most. Uh, but, yeah, I, I see what you're, you're getting at now. And, again, it's been almost a year since I've read this, this book. So I'm kind of trying to remember some of the themes and stories that ha- took place. Rodrigo's probably read it the most recent. Mm-hmm. Did you finish the whole volume, the whole thing? Yeah. Okay. So the the final and third section of this book is Dream Country, uh, issues 17 through 20, which are four independent stories where, let's see, what do we got? We got uh, Calliope, who provides story ideas. She's a muse. Cat, that's trying to change the world with its dreams. And then another great one in, that I think is the Shakespeare story. And then finally, we get the uh, Element Girl appearance. Uranium Blackwell. Yeah. Rodrigo, thoughts on any of those final four stories? Um, I didn't care for the cat one. I think I thumbed through that one when I originally read it. The cat one was fine. I, honestly, I think that the Sandman is strongest at its most disjointed. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's always these little stories that, that I personally prefer a little bit more. It's the one where... You know, the, these two um, African tribesmen go out into the desert and oh, right. you know, retail the story of how uh, their great civilization was destroyed because one of the endless kind of meddled with it um, and that kind of thing. So I liked these things. Um, the the uh, Metamorpho Girl story, it's it's always jarred me that that, you know, this character exists in the DC universe. He really shouldn't. Well, yeah. He should have... That's... He... Like, the Endless are cool enough that they deserve their own universe. Mm-hmm. You know, in which creepy things happen. If you want to borrow Hellblazer, go for it. Right. You know, he fits. Right. Some of, Even some of the JSA fit. The Martian Manhunter does not. Right. It just doesn't feel right to me. Um, And I understand, you know, like, when you're it's it's why you know the max and the savage dragon used to hang out you know you need that right even though they don't make sense together right um 
And so that may be that, also true of the nature of Vertigo when it was first started yeah. in that there really wasn't how do we, you know, here we've got this line yeah. of more mature books, but we don't really know how to treat it in the whole universe of things until we decide to completely yeah. split it. And, and here's the Vertigo stuff, and here's the DC stuff, and never the twain shall meet again yeah. unless there's money to be made. And And that's the deal is that, you know, they're always like, well, we always have to leave the door open for a crossover. Right. And honestly, Neil Gaiman probably couldn't help himself. They were telling him, okay, here's the stuff. It can be said in the DC universe. He was like, oh, joy of joys. He's going to go back through all his old characters that he liked. Right. And bring them all back. Right. right. Like the old school Sandman and mm-hmm. like, you know, Brood and Glum, who I didn't know. Matthew just basically informed me of this. Um, <laughs> Apparently had previous appearances in DC Comics. Um yep. The Midsummer Night's Dream I liked. I'm uh, I'm pretty familiar with the Midsummer Night's Dream, and it's cool to see the the interpretations of the characters and what they think of William Shakespeare's interpretations right. of them. Right. Right. Um, and you know, it sets up the fact that you know Puck is doesn't go back to fairy world, mm-hmm. and he's still kicking around somewhere. So obviously, we'll see more of him eventually. Matthew, thoughts we? thoughts on on these the final arc? i uh, i really enjoy this series on a number of levels as just a comic book story set in the dc universe as troubling as it may be it's actually really amazingly quality if you just look at it as here is a series of comic books that also took place in the same world as the blood pack but it also has that i don't know how to describe it where it, it just feels like it's it's real literature. The moments where, you know, you'll see Rose and she's going through her life and Rose and her little brother meeting together and Rose going on her journey to England and, and you know, tracing her grandmother's footsteps and all these things just feel like the they feel like old stories or they feel like iconic stories somehow. And mm-hmm. even though Element Girl used to be Metamorphose Girl's sidekick and she's this green haired superhero with mud for a foot. Her story is really touching mm-hmm. and the point where, you know, you realize that she's she's done, you know, it, 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 it's not exactly tear inducing, but it's it is a deep story. And it kind of it's one of the first stories that I remember, the first series that I remember that took the comic book fiction and really examined it from, you know, a literary, a historical, a mythological viewpoint. Mm hmm. You know, if you look at Thor, Thor was never about mythology. Thor was about a big blonde man in a red cape. Yeah. Thor is a superhero story up until the point that this book came out or thereabouts. And then all of a sudden they thought, well, what else can we do with these things? Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at just the arc of the character through these first stories, he starts out at his very lowest. Right. He spent 70 years in a cage in someone's basement And then he comes out and he has to build himself back up. And in so doing, shows us his universe. Right. And by the way, lots of the characters that you see here appear at other places. Mm -hmm. Eve and uh, Cain and Abel, of course, hosted their own books. Right. Um, A lot of these characters were seen before. Matthew the Raven. Mm -hmm. Do you know who Matt the Raven is? No. Do you remember Swamp Thing? Yes, but I've never read the, the comics. Swamp Thing ended up marrying Abigail Cable. Mm-hmm. In early issues of Swamp Thing, under Alan Moore's pen, Abigail Cable had a crazy husband named Matt. Ah. Matt was eventually killed and brought back from the dead and had these weird psychic powers and then died again. 
Matt the Raven is Matthew Cable. Cool. And mm. they never tell us that. It's really subtle. At one point, um, he's talking to Lucian. And Lucian, the storyteller, the librarian, quotes the Alan Moore story where Matt Cable dies. The night can make a man more brave, but not more sober. Matt Cable died in a drunken car crash, and now he's he's Dream's Raven. Cool. I like the fact that we took this character who was essentially a one-note villain, well, maybe a three-note villain, and turned him into this interesting background character. There's so much here in that even Nuala, who shows up all of a sudden out of nowhere, has a life of her own and a Mm -hmm. depth and a dignity to her character. Even if you take, you know, Element Girl, Element Girl has dignity and it looks at her life and it looks at her dreams and it just... It kind of celebrates humanity, even green-haired superhero metamorpho humanity. And I love that. I love the fact that no matter how dark the series gets, it's always still kind of a celebration. And I'll tell you this. The character of Funland, Mm -hmm. who was, I think, a serial killer of children. Right. And I think used Disneyland to catch children yep yep that's, and that's was the this implication crazy, yeah this crazy evil psycho child molesting killer at the end of his story when he gets his comeuppance part of me still looks at him and goes oh yeah at the end when, when his dream overtakes him and yeah. his dream is just you know it's just so weird to see to take that character and that that sordid horrific character and to give him depth like that it's just an amazing achievement this book is just full of moments where you can't i mean i could spend hours just talking about my favorite little character bits and i still wouldn't scratch the surface this is something that i feel like everyone needs to read if you're a comic fan whether you're a historian whether you're a fanboy whether you're like rodrigo and kind of you know just a dilettante yeah that was my x-men joke dilettante of course was a member of the x-men alongside maggot right not no. at the snow, not at that time. Unless if unless that's like, one of Cecilia Reyes' uh, six or seven code names that they gave her go. within she one was... issue. Yeah. If you like Batman I... and you want something totally different from Batman and sometimes even better than Batman, then you probably ought to read Sandman. When I first started reading Sandman, which was back in college, I put it down within two issues because I found it massively and unreadably pretentious. Did you find it now that you've sat down and reread the Well, what I what I did now that I was um <clears throat> forced to <laughs> go back through it um was, you know, I sat down and I thought, you know, about a lot of the discussions that we've had here on the show. Right. Specifically that discussion that we keep having about the Beatles, how yeah, you hear the Beatles in everything now, but they did it first. Right. You know, there's nothing right. spectacular about Citizen Kane except that it was the first movie to do all of those things. Right. So sitting down and saying, okay, all that horrible, stupid pretense, all that um, shallow borrowing of, uh, of myths and all that, you know, giving a character gravitas by giving it a name of another character that has already existed. This is the first time that we really saw that in comics and saw it done well. And that's why growing up reading stuff in the 90s, which is when I started reading comic books, right. that's why it seemed so overdone and over the top and unnecessary right because it was the first time it was being done it was the first time somebody was saying 
well, I'm just going hey, to sprinkle a little Norse mythology on top of this and see what it looks like. And so now when I look at it, I'm like, seriously? Right. right. You know. Right. So going back through it, I have a lot more appreciation for it now than I did back then. Okay. Um, And I did enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, But, you know, at times it's still really, and it's probably just because of specifically my generational cohort. Sometimes I'm just like, this is... 280s for me yeah there are times that it does feel that way i you know i like this series and i think a lot of other people who haven't read this who are looking for something different who are looking for something that's not in that superhero vein but kind of shares that same universe Mm -hmm. really you should check out just the first trade paperback volume and if that doesn't do it for you then you know you've only wasted maybe eight or nine dollars uh i really enjoyed the um the absolute edition uh, because of the bigger size, I enjoy seeing the art uh, close up. I do enjoy who is that? Dave McKeon. Uh, yes, did, Dave did the covers. Okay, and then what is it? It wasn't Sam Keith doing all the interiors, though, was it? Some of them were Sam Dringenberg. Okay, now there's like Sam three Keith or four did artists f- at least. Because I am not a big fan of of Sam Keith, and that's probably well, one of the there's other some. That- I think there is some Sam Keith art in here, but there's uh, Sam. Uh, What's his name? Mike Drinkenberg. Um, right. I know there's Samwise stuff Gamgee. in there from the problem. The, Samwise I guess, Gamgee, yeah. I guess when you look at all the artists who've worked on Samwise, there's two of two <laughs> Sandman. on Sandman. Uh, two of the artists, two artists who've worked on Sam uh, Sandman. Sam Keith and Kelly Jones are both very distinct artists in mm-hmm. their style, yep. and they're two styles mm-hmm. that I don't like very much. Yet I can get through, and I'm now done with volume two, starting on volume three of the Absolute Edition. The story is good enough to where I can overlook those mm-hmm. my issues with the art and enjoy the story. So for my book, you know, a, a thumbs up. Matthew, you're giving it a big thumbs up. Oh, absolutely. Rodrigo, um, highly recommended, maybe recommended. Check it out. Skip it. Oh, you should definitely check it out. If nothing else is because it's like Watchmen and like um, a couple other things that we've talked about before where you know, Transmetropolitan, where this is one of those defining books. This is one of those books that was a big, you know, rock in the river and everything had to flow around it for so long. Like, the Sandman is now in everything we read comic-wise in a little... Right. In, in, at least in a small way. Especially so, when you get into the really trippy metaphysical... Yeah. If you yeah. if you consider yeah. yourself, you know, a comics historian or, you know, if you just enjoy knowing, you know, getting that history then you have to read Sandman, at least the right. first volume, so you know what the crap they're talking about. And I'll actually recommend um, a book called The Little Endless Book, I think is what it is, which is a children's story featuring the Endless family. Really? It's It was my first introduction to the Endless. Cool. Now, I had, I had seen Sandman kicking around before, although that may have just been the guy from The Cure, and I got him right, confused. Right, right, right. Um, but there's this thing called, and I think it's called The Little Endless Storybook, in which delirium is running around uh-huh. and essentially she meets each one of the endless and, you know, they talk and, you know, it's, it's a children's book and it's amazing. Cool. All right. Well, check that out. Absolute Sandman volume one. We hope you've enjoyed kind of this uh, first, first uh, feast, first serving of the major spoilers podcast for your Thanksgiving holiday weekend. Mm-mm-mm. It's a little much Yum in it. this yeah. dose, which is fine. But that's stick that's around. how Thanksgiving always goes. I know, because you aren't going to want to stick around for Saturday show, because it's all about pie. Mm. No. 
Pie. All right, so that don't, wraps don't it up. Don't tell them that because then it's not going to be about <laughs> pie and they're going to be upset. All right, that wraps it up for this issue. Thank you so much for listening and being part of the Major Spoilers experience. Next week, we're going to be taking a look at Sin City because we know that you love pulpy noir violence and naked ladies, and we do too. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at majorspoilers.com. Visit Major Spoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at Twitter.com slash Major Spoilers and on MySpace at MySpace.com slash Major Spoilers. Fat the X-ray vision of a Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge chance? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Star Raven reads like a man of iron. Might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the heart cold to follow an entire storyline. Would I really even need to read upon all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being shot up in a fine be in the Middle East with a King Santo and soldier. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler, wow, 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 what a major spoiler. Major Spoilers Podcast, copyright 2009.